Welcome to Paranormal Almanac. With your host, Kurt Sandvig. Right, I'm your host Kurt Sandvig, and on this week's edition of Paranormal Almanac, let's talk about premonitions. Can anyone have them? Should be you, should be you, should you be listening to your gut even more than you probably already do? Are there proof that premonitions have come true? Is there proof that premonitions have actually come true? Do only famous people have premonitions? Can you have them? Can anyone have them? Can I have them? Well, all this and more might be answered in just a little bit. But first, as always, it's shout-out time. That's right, shout-outs to the best patrons on the planet. If you don't know what I'm talking about, head on over to patreon.com slash paranormalalmanac for even more Paranormal Almanac. There's like 12, 15 episodes on there, and more are coming. So, shout-outs to Aaron, Aaron, Lauren, and David. Hold on, I want to get really into this one. Lauren and David. Oh, God, I'm sorry, David. I don't know why I, I did this. Uh, Lauren and David Grijalva. Grijalva? Grijalva. Grijalva. I'm sorry, David. I butchered your last name. I'm going to say, I'm going to guess it's Grijalva. Alicia, Amber, Andrew, Angie, Ariel, Austin, Autumn, Seth, Carolyn, Chuck, Chuck, Cole, Damian, Dan, Daniel, Devin, Dill, Drake, Elliot, Fabian, Harley, Heidi, J. Mark, Jade, Jaime, Jason, Jeff, Jenny, Jennifer, Jerry, Jim, Joe, John, Joshua, Judy, Juliana, Catherine, Kelsey, Kenny, Kira, Kyle, Kyle, Laura, Laura, Laura Rutho, Lauren McCune, hey, howdy, hi, Lawrence, Leo, Lindsay, M. Caballero, Lindsay, I'm very happy that you're moving back to California, can't wait to see you again, uh, Lindsay, uh, M. Caballero, Maggie, hey, Maggie, hope you're doing good, Martin, Matt, Megan, Megan, Milo, Nanashi, Nick, Pablo, Paula, Peaches the Cat, Peaches the freaking cat, love them, Rachel, Reed, Rosa, Sage, Sarah, Sarah, Sean, Bishop, the best, happy birthday, buddy, Shelly, Sun Sunny, Suzanne, Todd, Jamie, and Elijah Hendrickson, Trey, Troy, Veronica, and, and Veronica, but... I also have a very special shout-out. This is a special shout-out to Marley. Hi, Marley. That's right, a special shout-out to an awesome fan, Marley, and her sister Maggie, and her mom, Manda. So shout-out to all three of you, but especially Marley. Okay, up next is Paranormal News. Ghost haunt the night. Strange objects fly through the sky Shadow people are spending the night again I got children knock on my door A portal to hell opens in my room Time travel man says the world is changing soon Don't 
Once again, that Paranormal Almanac News or Paranormal News theme song was done by Buzz Lee. If you would like to send me your own Paranormal News theme song, I would absolutely love it. Send it on over to ParanormalAlmanac at gmail.com. The first one in Paranormal News just seems like regular news, but trust me, I think there's something paranormal going on here. Irish farmer claims he was sexually assaulted by a leprechaun. A dairy farmer from Southern Ireland says he was sexually assaulted by for two days by an extremely short bearded humanoid, which he says is a leprechaun. I bet he hopes it's a leprechaun. Angus Brennan from Watergrass Hill near Cork says he was milking his cows on Saturday when he was hit on the head from behind with a shovel or similar tool. The attack knocked him out. When he woke up a few hours later, he had been tied up to a support beam to a support beam inside his own barn. The 50-year-old farmer says he was repeatedly raped over the next 40 hours by a waist-high midget with a red beard and cocked hat. He uh, is very adamant to say it wasn't human. It was short, fiendish, and spoken gibberish. According to Mr. Brennan, the leprechaun raped him more than 20 times over the weekend before leaving for some unknown reason. It used me in every possible way over a period of two days, and then it left. A few hours later, I was finally able to free myself from my bonds and call the police. The officers and paramedics arrived on the scene within minutes and found Mr. Brennan lying in a pool of his own blood. Ugh. He was transported to the Bon Secours Hospital in Cork, where doctors observed obvious signs of a violent sexual aggression. The uh, police force opened an investigation, but insisted that investigators were at the moment looking for, quote, human suspects. I was going to say, I hope it was a leprechaun, but I hope it, I just hope it didn't happen. I hope that, yeah, it's a terrible story. Uh, let's see, it goes on to say that in April of 2015, a Welsh man reported being assaulted, being assaulted and robbed by a pair of, quote, evil looking leprechauns armed with knives. In June 2012 in Seattle, a man who was found covered in blood outside a bar reportedly being assaulted by a bunch of leprechauns. And in 2006, a leprechaun sighting in Mobile, or Mobile, drew large crowds and even forced police to intervene. All right, I no longer want to meet a leprechaun. I don't want his gold at the end of the rainbow or whatever happens. I don't want his lucky charms for damn sure. Sounds like leprechauns suck. I always thought they were cool, and I always thought, ah, I'd love to meet a leprechaun. Even in that movie, you know, the horror movies, Leprechaun, with, uh, with what's-his-name from Return of the Jedi, Warwick Davis. Even that leprechaun, I was like, nah, that guy's fine. Yeah, I'm sure he kills a lot of people, but I think I could take him. I don't know now. I don't want to meet a leprechaun. Okay, up next in paranormal news, this Silicon Valley startup is dedicated to detecting UFOs off the California coast. UAP Expeditions is made up of former military officials, Silicon Valley entrepreneurs, venture capitalists, and academics. And this all came about because of that Navy UFO videos that are just everywhere now. The fact that these unidentified aerial phenomena are real led these guys to say, okay, we need to start something to track UFOs off the coast of California. If they're gonna be there, then let's do it. It's a nonprofit group based in Oregon that uh, will field a top-notch group of uber-experienced professionals providing the public service of field-testing new UAP-related technologies. Sounds great to me. I want to know more about it. In fact, I want to know more about it so much that I contacted the founder. I will let you know if they respond. Okay, and up next in Paranormal News, Army partners with former Blink-182 UFO research company to study alien technology. Once again, more news about those Navy UFOs. So in 2017, the Pentagon... Oh, you guys know all of that stuff. Come on. 
Here we go. This April, the Navy confirmed it was drafting a fleet-wide message to establish guidelines for pilots and other military personnel to report UFO sightings. Now, the Army has joined the extraterrestrial foray in a big way, inking a contract with the Academy to the Stars. Wait, to the Stars Academy. To the Stars Academy to collaborate in the study of, quote, exotic metals that both parties hope will lead to the development of advanced technologies. As part of the agreement, the Army's Ground Vehicle System Center and the Ground Vehicle Survivability and Protection Component will lend research resources, including laboratories to To The Stars Academy, which in turn will leverage what the company asserts are real alien metals capable of enhancing the effectiveness of Army vehicles. To The Stars claims to have acquired, designed, or produced these materials, which can offer an array of futuristic modifications like active camouflage, beamed energy propulsion, inertial mass reduction, and quantum communication. We still don't know, though, where To The Stars Academy actually got that material, so keeping an eye on that one. Okay, and next up is an interesting update of sorts, possibly, maybe, for those very Navy UFO stories that I've been talking about that have been in the news forever. There's a believable explanation to those UFO videos released by the Navy, this person says. And that's Jurika Jumavik. Sure, why not? He says a uh, military patent could explain mysterious objects that we see as those Tic Tac UFOs. He goes on to say that there is a Navy patent which perhaps, maybe, could explain these UFOs because they could be achieved if the outer shell of the craft were turned into a cavity wall filled with gas which would vibrate thanks to microwave emitters. This description was taken from a patent the U.S. Navy applied for in 2016, which says such a peculiar craft could move with great ease through the air, space, or water by being enclosed in a vacuum plasma bubble or sheath. You know, and that's about it for the... I mean, that's really the, the core, the crux of this article. This guy found a Navy patent from 2016. I'm going to click on the patent, see if I could find it. All right, before I read what this patent is, if you're playing a drinking game, I suggest this one. Drink for every time I say the word cavity from this patent application. All right, you got the, you got the rules? If I say the word cavity, take a drink. Okay, here we go. A craft using an inertial mass reduction device compromises of an inner resonant cavity wall and outer resonant cavity and microwave emitters, the electrically charged outer resonant cavity wall and the electrically insulated inner resonant cavity wall form a resonant cavity. The microwave emitters create high frequency electromagnetic waves through the resonant cavity, causing the resonant cavity to vibrate in accelerated mode and create a local polarized vacuum outside the outer resonant cavity wall. Is anyone alive that was playing that drinking game? I hope so, because I'm almost done with paranormal news. So, finally, in paranormal news, search for Bigfoot alive among Montana believers. That's right, I couldn't go a full episode without saying, and I apologize to Marley, without saying, don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Okay, so Columbia Falls, Montana. On any given day in the forest, you can find people searching for Bigfoot. Yes, I do believe in Bigfoot. That's what Joe Hauser told us on a late summer day on Montana Vortex at the Montana Vortex and House of Mystery outside Glacier National Park. Hauser walks the grounds every day because he bought the property to study the electromagnetic anomaly. He's the first to tell you that weird things happen here. A lot of people come in totally skeptical and they leave and go, I don't know what's going on here, but there's definitely something going on here. 
Not only is there the mystery spot, but a lot of people have seen Bigfoot appear out of nowhere right there, surrounding the Montana vortex. When showing off the footprints of Bigfoot, he says, you can see they're all different, just like our feet are all different. That was from Bluff Creek by Roger Patterson, and that's where the Patty video was actually done in California. I remember watching that on the news with my parents and grandparents and my grandfather and dad and uncle, and they had an experience in Colorado where they found large tracks in the 1930s. Now, Hauser's first encounter took place gold mining in California in 1983. We heard some really big, loud screams and whoops. It was like a howler monkey on steroids. I turned to my partner and said, what the heck is that? He said, well, that's Bigfoot. Haven't you heard him yet? He says it took him 22 more years before he actually saw a Sasquatch. And this was at Avalanche Lake in Glacier Park while he was with his son. Says he looks across the lake and goes, hey, Dad, there's two Bigfoot walking across that snowfield right there. And sure enough, big strides, great big arm swings, arms down to their knees. We had about five minutes sighting walking across the snowfield. So apparently, at least according to this guy, Bigfoot is still out there, still being spotted to this day. So, once again, if you see Bigfoot, take a photo, take a video, but don't fucking shoot Bigfoot. Oh, wait, I, oh, I, almost, I almost skipped the end of this part. He goes on to say that there have been bones that have been found. There's been DNA studies that have been done. There's another DNA study being done right now. Now, he couldn't comment on the studies, but said that they're being done at reputable universities. He says some of the DNA was collected at his vortex. Oh, and if you want to catch a Bigfoot, well, not catch him, if you want to see a Bigfoot, he says they like peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And if you put double face tape on the outside and they pick up the bowl, it leaves hair and skin follicles. And then if you put a different variety of food in there, they'll sample it. They don't like Skittles or M&Ms, so they'll put in their mouth and then spit them right back out in the bowl and there's saliva. There are DNA tests being done right now. So I'm going to keep an eye out for this DNA test. I'm also going to try and reach out to this guy because I'd love to talk to him more about Bigfoot because, well, frankly, I love Bigfoot. Okay, with that, let's take a quick break and get right into premonitions. That's right, we're back. And I have to ask, have you ever had a premonition? Did you listen to your gut about it? Was it something big or just something small? Because it seems like everyone I know has had a premonition about, I don't know, something at one time or another. Sure, most were about something really small, like, oh, not going at a green light, only to have a car blow the red light that would have hit them. But some have had premonitions of natural disasters and horrible events. So on this episode, I thought, hey, let's hear about some premonitions that came true. Well, obviously they came true, because if they didn't, they're just called, I don't know, what do you call a premonition that doesn't come true? I guess it's called a malamonitions, which, you know, isn't true at all, because there is no word for a false premonition. That's just being wrong. So where did I come up with malamonitions? Well, I took the Latin word for wrong, which is malum, and then I made some shit up. But I don't want to talk about malamonitions. Let's talk about premonitions that came true. Now, this first one is from Wales. Errol May Jones, who was a 10-year-old from Aberfan, Wales, woke one morning and told her mom, I dreamt I went to school and there was no school there. Something black had come down all over it. Then, for the next two days, she told her mother that she wasn't afraid to die because she would, quote, be with Peter and June, which are two names of her former schoolmates who had died obviously young because they're her schoolmates and she's 10. Anyhow, 
On that second day, October 21st, 1966, a National Coal Board colliery spoil tip slid down the mountain and killed 144 people living in the village. 116 of them were children, sadly, including Errol. What the hell's a colliery? Well, it's a big coal entrapment thingy. Just think of it that way. It was on the top of the hill. It slid down and basically did exactly what Errol had said. All right, so that gives you an idea what this episode is going to be like. They're going to be sad tales. Some of them are extremely sad tales because they had a premonition of their own death and then they died. Others, not so sad. But nonetheless, here we go. Up next is a man who had a premonition of his own death and lived to tell about it, which, you know, is how we know about it, I guess. Now, his name is David Booth. He's from Cincinnati. And for 10 nights in a row in 1979, he had the exact same nightmare. During every dream, he saw a plane veering off a runway before flipping over and bursting into flames, killing everyone on board. Now, he was so concerned, he actually told the FAA all about what he saw. He's like, man, I keep having these same dreams. It's been 10 nights in a row. It's freaking me out. While he was talking with the FAA, he actually gave them enough details that they figured out it was an American airline crash that he'd been dreaming of. And they also concluded that it was either a DC-10 or a Boeing 727 plane, just based on his descriptions. That's how detailed his dreams were. Now, the last time he dreamt of this plane crash was May 24th. The day after that, an American Airlines Flight 191 DC-10 crashed just like he saw, killing 273 people. David actually watched the news breaking on TV and couldn't believe it. He said this was exactly the crash that he had been dreaming about. And because he went to the FAA about it, he was even investigated, but they determined he was not involved with the crash at all. Surprisingly, this story doesn't even end there. Oh, if you want to know why it crashed, it was mechanical error. Okay, surprisingly though, this story doesn't end here because someone else had a premonition about that exact same flight, Flight 191. She was actress, or she is, actress Lindsay Wagner of the Bionic Woman fame. Now, she was due to board Flight 191, but she started feeling sick while waiting to board. In fact, she got such a bad feeling and felt so sick, she skipped the flight altogether. She said as soon as she left the airport, she immediately felt better. And I gotta say, there's a few stories, at, well, more than a few, there's quite a few stories where that, that sick feeling comes over somebody, stops them from going or doing whatever there was they were about to do. As soon as they stop or turn around or leave, that sick feeling goes away, which you might want to hold on to. If you ever have that sick feeling, you, it's something's just not right. It's not just a normal stomach ache or whatever. It might be a premonition of something bad about to happen to you. Alrighty, this next one, well, it comes to us from South Africa, and I'll be honest, I don't know if this is a premonition or if it's just people reading meaning into a painting. So this one, you have to decide for yourself. On February 13th, 2013, model Reven Steenkamp was murdered by her boyfriend, Olympic athlete Oscar Pretorius nicknamed Blade Runner. A few months after the death of her daughter, her parents appeared in a documentary and showed a drawing that Reva completed when she was just 14 years old. Now, it's a painting that shows an angel, a gunman, and a stairway to heaven. 
in the painting, drawing, whatever you want to call it, the man is standing next to the tree in the field and he's holding a gun. On the other side, it was like a two-part drawing joined together. On the other side, there is a young girl wearing angel wings and a ladder going up to heaven. I, I just don't know if that's enough to say that when she was 14, she had a premonition of her own death and painted it. It, it isn't exactly what happened to her. He shot her through a bathroom door thinking she was bullshit. It's bullshit story, but his excuse was that he, he thought that she was an intruder. So he just continually shot through a bathroom door, repeatedly hitting her with bullets. Bullshit. But her painting doesn't have any of that. If it had a bathroom door, had her in a bathroom, just getting murdered by this butcher, well then sure. Or, or... If the guy in the painting had those blade feet things, because, you know, I don't know if you know this guy. He lost his feet. He's got he's got those, like, little scoop things instead of feet that, uh, prosthetics. So if those were in the painting, hell yeah, I'd be like, yep, she had a premonition of her death when she was only 14 years old. But none of that stuff is there. Make of it what you will. I guess I can throw that up on Facebook or Instagram or something, but... If I forget, or if I don't, just look up Riva Steenkamp Painting. I guarantee it'll come up. There is actually no guarantee to that. If you don't know how to Google and you can't find it, that's on you. Okay, this next one comes right from Reddit. And based on what I can find, this person is right. It's timestamped and it seems legit. If it wasn't timestamped, if it was just some guy saying, Oh, I had a dream that blah 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 happened. Nope. But he actually has timestamps that you can go back to and look. And it seems legit. All right, he says, This happens to me all the time. I have a timestamp log in a private internet group. So, one, I have witnesses. And two, I can look back and check the dates and the details. The frustrating thing is that I can't induce it. And the precognition is totally random. I can miss huge world events, but predict my friend's mother, who I hadn't seen or talked to in over two years, being diagnosed with tuberculosis from her years as a nurse, which was totally out of the blue and not confirmed until I saw her again a year later. I do sometimes get the world events, though. I saw Typhoon Haiyan hit the Philippines about a week and a half before the warnings about its pending arrival even made the news. I can thank terrible U.S. geography education for the fact that I didn't recognize any of the names of the places that I saw in the dream until I woke up and Googled it. Yeah, I also have had an American education and know nothing about the world. But still, very cool some couple of personal things about people he wasn't even, you know, connected to anymore. And what about a national disaster, a natural disaster, if you will? Okay, so this next one. Huge grain of salt time, guys. I can't verify this next one at all. And in fact, there's actually two different, slightly different versions of it. So again, huge grain of salt time. The one version, it's almost too good that it has to be fake. It's too creepypasta good. It's about Joe Meek, who was a music producer in the 50s. Now, he worked with a few artists in the UK at the time, but wasn't anything too amazing. He wasn't like, um, he wasn't like the Phil Spector of the time. That's a terrible example. Phil Spector killed a woman. Um, he wasn't like George Martin of the time. He wasn't a George Martin of the time by any stretch of the imagination, but he did work with a few artists in the UK. Okay, so the story goes that Joe was conducting a tarot reading, and the cards read February 3rd, Buddy Holly dies. All right. Hopefully you guys are yelling bullshit, huge red flag or whatever, because tarot cards 
aren't a Ouija board. They don't spell things out. So I doubt this version is too accurate, but let's keep going with this same version. So he has no connection to Buddy Holly, but he tried in vain to get a hold of him. Then when February 3rd came and went and Buddy Holly was still alive, everything was good. He was like, whew, all right, we're all cool, we're good. Then Joe met Buddy Holly and told him the tale and the very next February 3rd, February 3rd, 1959, Buddy Holly died in a plane crash. Spooky. Then, on February 3rd, 1967, Joe killed his landlady and then himself with the shotgun. Now that part is true. I looked into it. The whole February 3rd, 1967, he killed his landlady then himself. Yep, that's true. Now the other slightly different version starts the same, but Joe is way into the occult. And he hears these words during a ceremony. February the 3rd. Then Buddy Holly. Then dies. Now in this one, Joe actually knows Buddy Holly well and tells him what the demons or whatever, or whatever the Ouija board, whatever the fuck it was, said. And he said that he would die on February 3rd. When the 4th of February, 1958, came and went, Buddy Holly called him and told him that he was still alive. But the very next year, on February 3rd, 1959, Buddy Holly died in a plane crash. I gotta say, both versions are almost too good to be true. And like I said at the beginning, there is zero proof of any of it actually happening. Obviously, besides Buddy Holly actually dying on February 3rd, 1959, and that whole murder-suicide February 3rd, 1967. But there is zero evidence he ever even met Buddy Holly. So like I say, cool story, possibly true, gets repeated a shit ton, a lot, but there's zero proof that any of it actually happened. Up next, was the sinking of the Titanic predicted? Well, sort of. In Morgan Robertson's novella, Futility, he wrote a story about the sinking of the giant passenger liner named the Titan. Now his book was written in 1898. Now in case you didn't know, the Titanic didn't sink until April 1912. The ship was called the Titan, and it was a large luxury liner that was deemed unsinkable. It was just 25 meters shorter, but still massive, obviously shorter than the Titanic, but still massive, and both the Titan in the book and the Titanic in real life were capable of traveling at over 20 knots an hour. And they both sank after hitting an iceberg in the middle of April. And both ships only carried the bare minimum number of lifeboats, even though there were thousands of passengers on the ship. So obviously, many passengers died in the freezing water. Nobody let them up on their little floating pieces of door. And so the Leo just sank into the ocean when he could have been rescued by whatever the hell her name was. And how dare she? Okay. Now, even though this seems like a slam dunk premonition, both Morgan and experts say it's nothing more than a coincidence because Morgan Robertson was an experienced sailor and just happened to correctly predict that ships would get larger and go faster. That was a given. Throughout shipping, they've gotten larger, they've gotten faster. Also, he knew the routes and the real perils of hitting icebergs. So was it a premonition that he didn't even know he was having or just a coincidence? I'm really asking because I have no idea. So, you know, you tell me. 
again, I don't think, I think this is just a lot of really big coincidence, but it's a lot of coincidence. I mean, I don't know. It's, it's, this leads into that whole, do the Simpsons predict the future or did the Simpson writers just guess a lot of stuff right? I don't know. I even had an episode about it. I still don't know. I don't think they predicted the future, though. But that's not what we're talking about this. We're talking about premonitions. So on to Jeremy Driscoll, who was a Benedictine monk who lived in Oregon in 2005. He said he was listening to a report on the dangers of hurricane in Louisiana when suddenly he had a vision of the Gulf and a storm heading from a northern direction. He said he could barely make out the state of Louisiana in the distance. Now, in his vision... He said he noticed the land seemed weak, like it was unprepared for any disaster. Then a hurricane rolls in and destroys the state. Yet no one was killed because the area was deserted. Okay, seriously, how long was this very specific vision? I mean, that's a lot of details to pack into a sudden, you suddenly have a vision. That's a lot of freaking details. Well, not surprisingly, hopefully to you guys, not surprisingly, not too long after his vision, Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans in August of 2005. And as you probably know, it was horrific. People were killed. Alrighty, this next one is a really quick one. It's reported that some of the girlfriends at the Route 91 Music Festival in Las Vegas on October 1st, 2017, told their boyfriends, we have to leave early because they didn't feel good about being there. They said... They were getting sicker and sicker. And it wasn't until they started to leave that they started feeling better. And right after they left, that gunman opened fire on the crowd in the largest mass shooting in America to date. So, another one. Check that off the list. Another one where you started to feel sick, then sicker, and then sicker. And as soon as you left, you started to feel better. All right, these next couple are from friends of mine when I asked if any of my friends had any premonitions. When I was a child, the car I was in drove by a church in San Francisco. As we passed by, I had a flash vision of it in flames and said, it's going to burn. Next week, we drove by and it had been gutted by fire. The next one says, when I was 15, I had a premonition that one of my parents would die, my mother. She passed away right after my 18th birthday. Okay, up next. I really, really hope I don't need to tell anyone what happened on September 11th, 2001 in New York? But you might not have heard this story. This is about a man named Barrett Naylor who didn't have just one premonition about the World Trade Center attacks, but two. Barrett actually worked at the World Trade Center and on the morning of February 26, 1993, he was on his way to work at the World Trade Center. Now, he said when he reached Grand Central Station, he had a sudden and unmistakable feeling of foreboding that he couldn't describe. He felt like something was telling him to turn around and go back home. And luckily for him, that's exactly what he did. Now, if you don't know what happened on this date, at 12.17 that very day, a bomb exploded in the World Trade Center parking area, killing six people and injuring over a thousand more. Had they actually succeeded that day, they would have took out one tower into the other and brought them both down. Well, that brings us to September 11th, 2001. Barrett was again just getting ready for a normal day at work in the World Trade Center when he got the same feeling as he did in 1993. Since it saved him before, he instantly heeded the warnings and went back home. 
Sadly, I can't find anything that says he warned anyone else about his feeling. And I will say, if I worked with him and heard about his close call in 93, I would have definitely heeded his warning on September 11th too. I wish I could find out if he ever had any more premonitions, but wherever he works now, you gotta imagine his entire company must seriously get scared if he ever calls out for sick for work. Can you imagine that? Like, what, Barrett's not feeling well? He called out sick? Fuck this, I'm leaving. The whole office must shut down on this guy's sick days because if I worked in that office, I'd be checking in with Barrett every morning. We cool? Should we go in the office? Yeah, all right, we're good. That's insane. Barrett Naylor, if you're out there and if you're listening, I want to know if you've had more premonitions. Okay. It's gotten to that point in this episode where you can't talk about premonitions without talking about this next man, so screw it. Let's talk about one of the most famous precognitioners that ever lived. Is that a word? Don't know. If you believe in his predictions, and that's a big if, you gotta talk about Nostradamus, who, again, depending on what you believe, either predicted a whole hell of a lot of shit, or... People have gone back and matched up his predictions after the fact to make them work. So, here are just a few of Nostradamus' predictions that have supposedly come true. I'm going to burn through these. Don't worry, I'm going to be real quick. The death of Henry II. Prediction, young lion will overcome the older one on the field of combat in a single battle. He will pierce his eyes through a golden cage, two wounds made one, then he dies in a cruel death. Well, he jousted the guy, he died kind of happened that way. The Great Fire of London. The blood of the just will be lacking in London. Burnt up in a fire of 66. The ancient lady will topple from her high place. Many of the same sect will be killed. Well, on September 2nd, 1666, a small fire in Thomas Fariner's bakery on Pudding Lane in London turned into a three-day blaze that consumed the city. That is the Great Fire of London. The French Revolution. Songs, chants, and demands will come from the enslaved, held captive by the nobilities in their prisons. At a later date, brainless idiots will take these as divine utterances. Yep. Napoleon's conquest. Pau, nay, Lauren, more fire on blood. Swimming in praise, the great man hurries to the confluence. He will refuse entry to the magpies. Pampum and Durance will confine them. So Pau, nay, and Lauren referred to three towns in Paris. Uh, the last one is actually named o Oleron, whatever. Rearranging the city's letters spelled Napoleon Roy, which is eerily resembles Napoleon, the king in French. More of fire than the blood may refer to the non-noble lineage of Napoleon who took power during a coup. Um, that's dumb. Louis Pasteur's discoveries. Hitler's terror in Europe. From the depths of the west of Europe, a young child will be born of poor people. He who, by his tongue, will seduce a great troop. His fame will increase towards the realm of the east. Uh-huh. It's Hitler. You know about Hitler. Um, Charles de Gaulle. The atomic bomb. The heavenly dart with stretch, with stretch its course. Death in the speaking. A great achievement. The proud nation brought low by the stone in the tree. Rumors of a monstrous human bring purge than expiation. You guys all know what happened there. JFK's assassination, the ancient task will be completed. From on high, evil will fall on the great man. A dead innocent will be accused of the deed. The guilty on, the guilty on will remain in the mist. Uh, it's about, you know, JFK and Lee Harvey Oswald. September 11th, 2001. The sky will burn at 45 degrees. Fire approaches the great new city. 
By fire, he will destroy their cities. A cold and cruel heart, blood will pour. Mercy to none. All right, so that is just a few of Nostradamus's predictions. They're not exactly a cookie cutter. Hey, on November 7th, Kurt will win the lotto. And Kurt did winneth the lotto. Nothing like that, sadly. But predictions nonetheless that a lot of people think he knew what he was talking about, and his premonitions all come true. I don't know. What do you guys think about Nostradamus? I'm gonna, I, I'm gonna jump ahead with my questions at the end. I'm gonna put them right here for a second. What do you guys think of Nostradamus? Do you think that he ever predicted anything, or do you think people keep reading in to reading in to reading in to all of his little things until something matches? Eh, I don't know. Okay, up next is another one from the internet. I had the most vivid dream I've ever had. After I woke up, I wrote it out and sent it out to a lot of my friends because it just touched me. It seemed important. It was the most vivid dream experience I ever had. It was about the space shuttle blowing up. Less than 48 hours later, it happened. My friends still have the notes. Very cool, very specific. At that time, and I assume it was the Challenger explosion, at that time, we hadn't lost a space shuttle, so sure, there was always the risk and always the worry, but still, pretty impressive. Alrighty, here's another one I just can't prove is real, but I also can't debunk it, so it's grain of salt time again. Did Diana, Princess of Wales, predict her own death? Well, maybe, if, and that's a big if, a letter she wrote is real, and again, I just don't know if it is. Here's the story. Several months before she died, she wrote a letter to her butler, Paul Burrell. It says, This particular phase in my life is the most dangerous. My husband is planning, quote, an accident in my car, brake failure, and serious head injury to make the path clear for him to marry Camilla. So, there's actually two versions of this. She doesn't mention Camilla. She actually mentions some other woman. But uh, that part seems kind of inconsequential. It's the whole, you know, cars and brakes and planning an accident and all that jazz. So let's just focus on that. Now, Burrell kept the note secret until 2003 when he published it in his book, A Royal Duty. By all accounts, this guy has profited a lot from this note in his book. According to him, Diana wrote it as an insurance policy, quote, just in case. And it was written just two months after her divorce from Charles was finalized and that the letter was brought up as evidence in the investigation of the accident and at the trial. The letter was also shown to one of Diana's closest confidants, Lucia Fletcher de Lima, who did not believe that the letter was authentic, so huge red flag. All right, the jury concluded that Diana and Al-Fayed were unlawfully killed by the gross negligence of the driver only and nothing else. And the coroner, Lord Justice Scott Baker, said... In the end, there is an important issue as to the credibility of the witness, Paul Burrell. So, ultimately, we may never know if the letter was genuine. But if, again, it's a big if, if it was, it's incredible that nothing more ever came from it. Can you imagine if they had some letter from JFK about his assassination? People would be losing their minds forever. About, ow, forever about this letter. Alrighty, up next is another author. This one, Edgar Allan Poe. In 1838, his novel, The Narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket, which is a terrible title, 
was released. In the book, a four-man crew of the ship Grampus was shipwrecked with no food or water. They eventually eat a tortoise, then draw straws to see who they're going to eat first. One man, Richard Parker, draws the short straw, and he is murdered. Uh, let's see. Two of the remaining members of the crew manage to survive after their act of cannibalism and are eventually rescued. Alrighty. Cut to real life, 1884. Remember, that book was written in uh, 1838. So, cut to real life, 1884. A yacht called the Mignonette sailed out of England for Sydney, Australia. It sank, and the four men had to escape in a lifeboat. Now, I'm sure you can guess what happened next, but... First up, there's a tortoise. Then there's cannibalism. The person they ended up eating? Well, it was a crewman who was so weak and seemed to be dying that they killed and ate him. And his name was Richard Parker. Just like in the freaking book by Edgar Allan Poe. Again, I'll ask a question now instead at the end. Did Poe predict this or is it just a bunch of coincidences? I don't know. Okay, up next is Harriet Tubman, who, if you don't know who she is, then you should go see the movie that just came out about her. But, spoiler, she's famous for leading hundreds of slaves to freedom in the 19th century. Well, story goes, she had the ability, the uncanny ability, to avoid danger because of visions she had. She would see herself and others running into trouble at certain points along the way and would alter their course to avoid these dangers. This one was very easy to find. It is very well documented, written about quite a bit. So Harriet Tubman, who was a superhero in my mind anyway, might have had a little bit of superhero powers as well. Okay, up next is another one from the forums. I told my husband one of my thoughts, daydreams, whatever you call it, that a man would step in front of me on the highway, big highway. I can't remember if it was the next day or within the week, my husband and I or my husband and I drove separate, and he and my son called me while I was at work. He was a little freaked because he, at this point, didn't really believe in this stuff. He told me a man is standing on the highway. No one ever stands in this spot. It is too dangerous. My husband told me to stay on the far fast lane, three lanes over from the man. I drove that way and kept watching for the area my husband told me, waiting for the area my husband told me to get over. He was still there and I moved over ahead of time. I looked at the man, and he pointed at me as I passed. I called my husband to tell him I was almost in tears. He did not step in front of me, and I was so glad about that. So, premonition, tell somebody about your premonition. If it comes true, great. You have proof, and you have a reason to avoid it, because, oh, yeah, I told that guy, and now he told me, and I should do that. It's going to come it's going to come a little bit later. Spoiler, it's going to come a little bit later, but you should be taking notes of the premonitions that are happening in this episode. All right, speaking of that, we're getting kind of close to the end of this edition. Only a couple of more. This next one is about Carl Jung and World War 1. But this one, in my opinion, isn't so concrete. I don't know if it's a definite premonition, but here we go anyway. Carl Jung began to have dreams in October 1913 about something almost apocalyptic that was about to happen to the world, the whole world. He said he dreamt about a, quote, monstrous flood covering all of the northern and low-lying lands between the North Sea and the Alps. He says, I realized that a frightful catastrophe was in progress. 
I saw mighty yellow waves, the floating rubble of civilizations, and the drowned bodies of uncounted thousands. Then, Jung had the same vision two weeks later, but with more details and even more bloodshed. So at first he dismisses them. He says, ah, I thought I was going crazy, but then they got worse. In 1914, he began to dream of a barren wasteland everywhere. In his vision, an Arctic cold froze the land to ice in the middle of the summer. Jung saw the entire Lorraine region as frozen and deserted. And every living thing died because of the frost. That was his vision. So, to me, it doesn't really sound like World War I. It sounds more like he had a premonition about that horrible movie, The Day After Tomorrow. But I think it's a big leap to say that those visions, the way he described it in his own words, were World War I. That just doesn't sound like a World War to me. It sounds like a natural disaster something apocalyptic like an asteroid hitting Earth or something like that, but not World War I. So, yeah, I don't know what to make of that one. Alrighty, what about Abraham Lincoln? Did he really have a vision of his own assassination? Maybe. The story goes that Lincoln's friend, Ward Hill Lehman, said that Lincoln predicted his assassination and told him about it. Lehman said, that Lincoln shared details of a dream he had had just a few days before his death. In it, the president walked into the White House's East Room where he found a body protected by soldiers and surrounded by a mourning crowd. Lincoln asked one of the soldiers who had died. The president is what the soldier said. He was killed by an assassin. That's pretty amazing. That right there, if 100% was true, I'd be like, yep, he won 100% had a premonition about his own death. But here's the problem. Many sites say that Ward made it up or that he altered it because Lincoln said to Ward that when Lincoln asked who died, that soldier said, someone else, which is kind of a weird response. So I don't know if to, I don't know if I buy that part of it. But Ward didn't even mention it until 20 years later. But... There are reports that according to members of his cabinet, Lincoln spoke about a dream he had the night before his assassination. In it, he dreamt about sailing rapidly over a body of water, but he didn't know where it was. Lincoln revealed that he had the same dream multiple times before, always before important events during the Civil War. But, I guess but, I don't know how to continue all these things. They're supposed to, but Lincoln did tell Mary about a dream he had, an ugly dream he had, to put away their son's pistol because he said he had an ugly dream about it and him. So I don't know what to believe. There does seem to be a chance that Lincoln had visions or that Lincoln just talked a lot about his dreams. I don't know. There does seem to be something there. It kind of bums me out that the guy didn't come forward until 20 years later. It's a great story. Other reports are still there about the cabinet and that dream. There are reports about Lincoln telling Mary about the pistol. I don't know. There is a lot to unfold when it comes to Lincoln. So maybe he might have had a premonition of his own assassination. In which case, if I was him, I would not have gone to a public theater to watch a shitty play. But that's just me. Alrighty, so that about does it for this episode. About don't 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 skip it yet. Don't end this yet. There's more. Hold on. Just wait. But that about does it for this episode's stories. Premonition stories. 
That about does it for those. But I also wanted to see if a famous psychic's premonitions came true more than the average person. I wanted to see if a famous psychic gets things more right than an average person, both of whom talk about these things online. I wanted a trail to follow. So I went online, I picked a psychic that wrote down their predictions in a spot where they couldn't be altered later, just at random. And I found one that wouldn't shut up about his premonitions and how accurate his were. Now, I'm not going to give you his full name, but let's just say famous psychic Jesse. So famous psychic Jesse got 3% right for all of his predictions in 2016. So bravo, Jesse. Bravo. Bravo indeed. Okay, so that's right. He made hundreds, seriously hundreds of predictions online and only 3% came true. I have better odds by just flipping a coin. In fact, let's try that out. Will I win the lotto? Heads for yes. Yep, that's a yes. I dropped my coin, but I can still see it. Will I get a TV show based on Paranormal Almanac? Heads for yes. Hey, that's a yes. So, all right, you know, I'm going to stop while I'm ahead. I'm going to win the lotto and I'm getting a TV show. So far, I like the results. But back to that BS psychic. He was so confident in his abilities that he wrote this. I know for me, I've had many premonitions throughout the years, and it creeps me out how often accurate I am. So now I get paid by all the media outlets to give my predictions out because of my uncanny ability. Bullshit. 3%. He was so confident that a major actor from the TV show Monk was going to die in 2016. That didn't happen. Did it? Maybe. Let's see. Hold on a second. No. It did not. The only possible explanation would have been if the guy who played Dr. Kroger died in 2016. He did not. He died in 2008. So, there was no major actor on Monk that died in 2016 that I know of that I can find. He was bullshit. So my point here, I guess, is ignore bullshit psychics. Listen to your gut. Perfect your psychic abilities yourself by using these basic, logical ways to hone and document your premonitions. All right, ready? Homework time. Here's what you need to do to document and, more importantly, hone your skills. One, keep a diary. Get a journal and write down any premonitions you might have. Be sure to note the time and date that you experience it. Almost everybody that talks about premonitions say, to do it the second you wake up. The second you wake up, write out that premonition that you had, that, that weird dream, that nagging dream, that one that doesn't feel like it's just a normal dream. Write out as much information as you can, as quickly as you can, while you're still, while it's still fresh in your mind. The point of this one, obviously, is to have a personal record of your premonitions. You can go back, you can track your success rates. Just, you know, don't obviously fake it and put down... Don't alter your diary, basically, is what they're saying. But just, you know what? Be honest with yourself. Write it down. Keep track of your premonitions. The reason they want you to keep track of your premonitions are if you wake up and have a certain feeling, or you wake up and the dream just felt differently, 
or you wake up, you know, more worried or more anxious than you normally wake up. They want you to start to recognize these things as, oh crap, the last time I did this, my premonition came true. And now I'm thinking about X, Y, and Z. Keep track of your feelings. If you have a Fitbit or a smartwatch and your heart rate spikes in the middle of the night and you wake up with this premonition, keep an eye on that. If you start seeing those spikes again and you start thinking, well, yeah, I just had a dream about being in a car accident or whatever, keep track of everything. Number two, tell other people. Don't just keep it a secret. Don't just put it in your diary. If you start to see patterns and you start to see, hey, I'm, I'm getting right more than I'm getting wrong, tell people. Now, don't, don't be one of those people that go, I had this really weird dream last night, but it might be a premonition. It might come true. No one wants to hear about your dreams. Unless you start getting a hell of a lot of shit right, and then everybody is going to want to hear about your dreams. So if you're one of those people that love to talk about your dreams, make them premonition dreams that come true. People will start to ask you about your dreams. Use a date-stamped way of marking your premonitions. What they mean by this is email, text, Facebook posts, something that you can say, look, I posted it on this day at this time, and it eventually came true. Obvious reason again for this one is you want to see how many premonitions you're getting right. Then they go on to say, how can you increase your chance of having premonitions? Here is what they say, what an expert says. I'll put it that way. Here's what an expert online says about premonitions. Intuition happens when you're not distracted. If you want to receive those signals more, then work on quieting your mind, getting, getting rid of the daily stress, doing meditation, doing yoga, drinking, relaxing, taking a swim, go for a jog, sit in a hot tub, whatever it takes to relax you, to close your eyes, take a deep breath, just listen to the sounds around you, be all kinds of, this kind of sounds kind of hippie-ish. I'm going to, I should have like weird wind chimes in the background. Listen to the sounds around you. Notice your breathing. Notice your breathing. Going in. Going in. And out. And out. You are now listening. You are feel your body senses. Into the energies of consciousness. Of consciousness. Of consciousness. You now have a heightened awareness. Heightened awareness of the energies within and around you. Alrighty, back to me. Alright, stopping the premonition is possible, they say, depending on the severity of it. Now, sure, you can't stop an impending earthquake, but you can stop a possible car crash by listening to your gut and avoiding the dangers altogether. Some premonitions offer a glimpse of things to come, and some are actual warnings. So it's possible to stop what is about to happen to you if you're mindful if you're keeping a diary of your premonitions or writing them down somewhere so they're in your mind, they're fresh in your mind. Now, another expert says, everything you see, feel, hear, etc., is delayed. The body sensors have to send the signals to your brain and the brain has, it, has to interpret them and then take action. Sure, it's done really fast, but reflexes are built in for immediate response because it is slow when life-threatening. Basically, what they're saying is, if you swing a bat or catch a ball, your mind predicts where it will be and then gets you there. We do it for driving as well, you know, keep an eye on things at all times. It requires 
It requires focus and your mind to predict things. So in effect, everybody is having premonitions all the time. The mind also goes through different possibilities trying to find the best one for us in the future. And every once in a while, the mind actually gets a possibility in the 90% range and now you have your premonition. It happens to everyone once in a while, but to force it to happen or get it to happen regularly, that's where the skill comes in. Your mind, your body are always doing predictions, but to get them to be these kind of predictions, it's gonna take a little time, take a little skill, and take a little luck, really. But if you focus, if you get your mind in that, that range, that, that peaceful range, if you write down your dreams right when you wake up, if you keep in mind how you feel before you had these dreams or when you woke up from these dreams or when you're having this feeling on your way to work, if you keep that in mind, if you're continually aware of that, they say premonitions will start to become more and more true or more and more accurate. Got it? So with that, I want to hear about your premonitions that came true. Again, were they something small or were they something catastrophic and huge? Were they something inconsequential that didn't even freaking matter? Just tell me your premonitions. And for fuck's sake, if you have one about me, tell me. Don't you dare buddy holly it and wait to see what happens with me. You got a premonition about me? I want to know. I would prefer it if tomorrow I didn't have 5,000 people messaging me saying, I had a premonition you're going to die today or for like the next five weeks because I can't, I don't have that much, you know, sick time at work. I got to go into work. I got to go outside. But still, if you have a track record for getting premonitions right, seeing the future, and you have a premonition about me, you damn well better tell me. Got it? All right. With that... I hope you guys enjoyed this premonition episode. It's a little bit different than what I normally did, but it also was a request by, by one of the patrons. So I definitely wanted to do this one, but I wanted to do it justice. And I didn't know how. I tried to have a premonition that this would be a great episode, but I didn't have one. So I hope you like this one. I hope it's what you wanted. And I really, really hope that everybody out there starts having premonitions that come true for the good things. Not for the horrific natural disasters or whatever, unless you can stop it. But again, premonitions about me? Please let me know. Once again, Marley, there's a special shout out for you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being a fan. Thank your sister Maggie and your mom Amanda. Thank you all. Once again, I'm your host Kurt Sandvig, and this has been another edition of Paranormal Almanac. Stall, stall, he no mean we get no wheat,